Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 through chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. And we understand that this day your word has for us a lot of real practical life to think about and a lot of stuff that is not socially popular and a lot of stuff that we're going to need you to shape our hearts in the right direction so that we can better please you. God, so we just ask this, that you would indeed, just as we sang, take our lives and let them be whatever you wish for them to be for your glory, for your good. God, be magnified in us and work out your plans in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It was once said that if a man could build a better mousetrap, the world would beat a path to his door. What do you think would make the world beat a path to your door today? And my guess is that it is not mousetrap technology. But show the world how to have repaired family relationships, better marriages, better parenting, and you will pique their interest. The world, if you look at the books on their shelves and the programs that they uh, would take people through, they would make you think that they want better relationships, better marriages, better families. They certainly... They spend a lot of time and a lot of money on supposedly trying to fix those areas of life. If this weren't the case, we would have never known Dr. Phil. Problem is, the world's solution to better families is not God's solution to better families. And since God is the one who designed the family, how about we just assume he has the better God's way is far better than any silly solution that the world out there would offer. So in the passage for today, we're going to see solutions for better relationships in three categories. Marriage, parenting, and the workplace. Now, all three of those relationships have been designed by God. They've been designed to demonstrate the glory of God. All of those relationships are between people who are of equal value and equal worth in the sight of God. And all of those relationships, we'll have to admit, involve authority and subjection to authority. Now, before we go too far, let's remember what we learned last week. We had two premises and a conclusion. Remember that? Premise number one. 
God created people to demonstrate His character and glory. That is true. If you exist, you exist to show off the glory of God. Number two, premise number two. Relationships of authority and subjection, when carried out in a God-honoring context, demonstrate God's character and glory and do not demean God or His children in any way. The conclusion we drew then was, therefore, we willingly participate in relationships of authority and subjection in order to demonstrate God's glory. That's where we were last week. If you don't get those premises and how they flow together, or you have questions about them, I would really recommend you go back and listen to last week's message. It's on the website, and hopefully that will catch you up. Today, we're going to look more closely at the relationships themselves, and we're going to see each person's responsibility. We'll also see how each person is to glorify God by fulfilling his or her responsibility And in all of it, we're going to try to remember that this is about God, and it's about God's glory, and it's not about your opinion or mine. Now, before we look at the relationships, though, I want to also point out one important pattern present in each time this is listed here. With each relationship, God first addresses the one who is supposed to submit. With each relationship, God addresses the one who is supposed to be under the authority. Later, he will address the one who is in authority. Why? Why might that be? Uh, There's a guy named George W. Knight III who writes a chapter in the book Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. We're going to use that book uh, from time to time in today's message, and we'll also quote Knight a couple times. In chapter 8 of the book, though, he says, Paul always addresses the one under authority. He encourages them to subject themselves to the God-given authority of another. This then enables Paul to address the one in authority. He can call the one in authority to lead in a gentle and caring way. The leader will not need to approach this situation as a battle. Instead, the leader can see the willing subjection of others and lead in a selfless, Christ-exalting way. So that pattern makes sense, doesn't it? If there's not a fight going on about authority, if those of us who are supposed to be under authority can begin to yield to authority, it will enable the one who is supposed to be in authority to lead in a gracious way. That's, that may very well be why that pattern is here. We're going to follow it anyway because it's the pattern that's here in the scripture. And in each relationship, we'll first address the one who is to glorify God through their submission. Then we will address the one who is to lead in a God-exalting way. With me so far? All right. You should have the three points from last week, but I'll give them to you again. And each of them will have, you're going to be shocked by this, two subpoints under each point. I think you'll be able to figure out how it works pretty easily. Point number one, reflect the glory of God in your marriage. Reflect the glory of God in your marriage. Colossians 3:18 and 19 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And the first sub-point, wives demonstrate the glory of Christ through an attitude of willing, godly subjection. Wives demonstrate the glory of Christ through an attitude of willing, godly subjection. Remember from last week that we saw that men and women are of absolutely equal worth in the sight of God. Each has been made in the image of God. But... 
men and women are to display the glory of God in different ways, different roles that we fulfill in our lives, in our marriages. And the Bible is indicating here that women, by submitting to righteous authority, well, they can demonstrate the glory of Christ. How does it demonstrate the glory of Christ? Because Jesus Christ also submitted himself to righteous authority. Jesus submitted to the authority of God the Father. Jesus even submitted to Mary and Joseph. And so clearly we know, we, we saw last week, submitting to authority does not devalue somebody because Jesus is infinitely worthy. He was not worth less because he submitted. Thus wives are to glorify Christ by submitting to their husbands in the Lord. If we were to look at the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5, which is 22 to 24, we would see that the submission of a wife to her husband's authority will display the glory of God in another way. Women who submit to their husband's leadership show the world the glory of God by demonstrating, by demonstrating a parallel of the love of the church for Jesus Christ, her head. Now, since human beings exist... Why do you exist again? For what reason? The glory of God. You exist to demonstrate the glory of God, which means even in subjection for those who are under authority, and all of us find ourselves under authority, by the way, women have an extremely high calling to fulfill. Fulfilling the calling to glorify God is the greatest way for anybody in the world to find joy in God. So it is a good thing. It is a joy-producing thing. For a woman, for a wife, to submit to her husband's godly authority for the sake of the glory of Christ. Submission here is good. It's not bad. It's not ugly. It's not distasteful. It's not demeaning. But it is the will of God. And it is not outdated simply because our culture doesn't see it that way. So the question has to come here, how in the world does this work? Right? How do you do it? It's all well and good to say that. Let's talk about what it is and what it's not. First, I think submission is not. And I'm going to read again from Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, chapter 10, written by Wayne Grudem, of all friendly folks out there. He says, number one, submission does not mean putting a husband in the place of Christ. If any wives here have difficulty confusing their husbands for Jesus, we need to talk. That just ain't how it works. Number two, submission does not mean giving up independent thought. Three, submission does not mean that a wife should give up efforts to influence or guide her husband. Look, you need to talk to us. Four, submission does not mean that a wife should give in to every demand of her husband. Five, submission is not based on lesser intelligence or competence. Six, submission does not mean being fearful or timid. Seven, submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. Not a bad little list, right? Look, wives can often see things husbands cannot. And I don't mean laundry. <laughs> Although some husbands, apparently, never mind. Wives can often sense things that husbands cannot. 
this is again more than okay, I, I'm not going to make the joke. It was in my head, but it's going to stop. <laughs> Here's the point. There is no reason at all in a marriage for a wife to be withdrawn or non-participative in the life and the decisions of the marriage. So what is subjection then? Again, I'm going to cite Grudem from the book. He says, submission is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of her husband. Be submissive to your husbands means that a wife will willingly submit to her husband's authority and leadership in the marriage. It means making a choice to affirm her husband as leader within the limits of obedience to Christ. It includes a demeanor that honors him as leader even when she dissents. Of course, it is an attitude that goes much deeper than mere obedience. But the idea of willing obedience to a husband's authority is certainly part of this submission. John Piper says it this way. The basic meaning of submission would be recognizing and honor, sorry, recognize and honor the greater responsibility of your husband to supply your protection and sustenance. Be disposed to yield to his authority in Christ and be inclined to follow his leadership. The reason I say that submission means a disposition to yield and an inclination to follow, Piper goes on, is that the little phrase, as to the Lord, in Ephesians 5, verse 22, limits the scope of submission. No wife should replace the authority of Christ with the authority of her husband. She cannot yield or follow her husband into sin. But even where a Christian wife may have to stand with Christ against the sinful will of her husband, she can still have a spirit of submission. She can show by her attitude and behavior that she does not like resisting his will and that she longs for him to forsake sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can again produce harmony. So in this mysterious parable of marriage, the wife is to take her special cue from God's purpose to the church and its relation to Christ. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. So, big definitions. Good points, actually. But how do we understand what a wife is supposed to do? Willingly participate in this relationship of authority and subjection. Remember, this doesn't devalue you in any way. Show the world the beautiful relationship of the church to Christ. Take an active role in the good of the family, for sure. Talk with your husband about all sorts of decisions, absolutely. But let him know that he is ultimately the one responsible for the decision at the end. He's the one responsible for the well-being of the family. You're there to help him, you're there to support him, but you're not going to take his place as the head of the family. No. Never, ever follow him into sin. No, never, ever submit yourself to abuse. But apart from those areas, willingly place yourself under your husband's authority. I once heard a woman say that her definition of submission is ducking so God can hit her husband. Kind of works, actually. Letting your husband know your support of his leadership will encourage him to lead in a godly way. If your husband has any 
character at all. Your willingness to submit to him will drive him to his knees as he wants to lead in a godly way. Paul says this is fitting in the Lord, so let it be your response. Now, let's go to the other sub-point. If the first one was wives, you want to guess what the second one is? Husbands, demonstrate the glory of Christ through a life of self-sacrificing love. Husbands, your job is to demonstrate the glory of Christ through a life of self-sacrificing love. So here we go, men. Notice first, men. You're paying attention, right, men? No, they're not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my give up. All right. Notice first, men. Husbands are not called upon to put wives in their place. It is not your command to do that. Instead, you're called to do what? To love like Jesus. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, George Knight said this about this. In so doing, Paul emphasizes that the headship of the husband over his wife must not be negative, oppressive, or reactionary. Instead, it must be a headship of love in which the husband gives of himself for his wife's good, nourishing and cherishing the beloved one who as his equal voluntarily submits to his headship. Wayne Grudem adds this, considerate leadership, this is number one in Grudem's list, does not mean harsh or domineering use of authority. You don't get to just sit around and boss folks around. Two, Considerate leadership does not imply equal sharing of leadership in the family. That's not what's meant in Ephesians or Colossians. Third, considerate leadership does not imply lesser importance for a wife. She is easily as important as you are, gentlemen. Four, considerate leadership does not mean always giving in to a wife's wishes. Five, considerate leadership is not optional for husbands. And John Piper says, Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Therefore, from the context of Ephesians, the headship of the husband implies that as far as possible, he should accept greater responsibility for supplying the needs of his wife, including material needs, but also protection and care. And he should accept greater responsibility of authority and leadership in the family. If the husband is the head of the wife, as verse 23 says, let it be very plain to all husbands that this means primarily leading out in the kind of love that is willing to die to give her life. I think all the authors I just read you have it right. Men... Authority equals self-sacrificing responsibility. Does that sound easy, by the way? It's not. But it's not about you. It's not about making yourself feel strong. It's not about being the big boss. It's not about thinking you're going to get a slave in the house. It's about demonstrating the glory of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for his church. Yes, your wife is to be under your authority, but your authority is founded on Christ-like love and sacrifice. So husbands, 
Take responsibility. Take responsibility for the family's spiritual growth. Take responsibility for the family's financial and physical security. Take responsibility to make the hard decisions when nobody wants to finally make them. Always consider the input of your wife because she's probably smarter than you. But when it's all said and done, it's your responsibility to care for her. If the family's not growing spiritually, fix it. It's your job. If the family is too poor, it's your primary responsibility to get a better job if you can. If the children need discipline, it is your responsibility to lead in that area. Even if you're not the one who does it all the time, you've got to be the leader. The whole of the burden is yours, and that's why your wife is a helper. She helps you with this burden, but the burden of leadership is yours to bear. The passage here in Colossians tells husbands not to be harsh with their wives. Other translations might say not to be bitter toward or embittered toward her. The point is be gentle with your wife. Affirm her, help her grow, protect her, provide for her, lay down your life for her, demonstrate Christ's love for her. Now let me say, one of the things I struggle with, and it's popular in the church when we talk about men and women, is all of a sudden we start rolling out all the stereotypes, right? Well, men like this, women like that, and men think this way, women think that way. And they're all based on pop psychology, and they're all obnoxious. But the truth is, we need to be careful. Here's what I want to tell you, men. Don't treat your wives like a guy. There may be tough ladies in this room. There may be tough ladies in your household, but men deal with things differently than women do. Men handle emotions differently than women do. Men handle criticism differently than women do. Don't treat your wife like a dude. Treat her with the gentleness and the kindness that God commands. My Old Testament professor was a guy named Daniel Block at Southern Seminary. And I remember hearing him say this. If in our relationships the man is the king of the household, then the woman must be the queen. Treat her as the queen and demonstrate the glory of Christ's love for the church. Now, the rest of the points for this morning are going to feel a lot like what we've already said. They're going to be the same sort of stuff. So we're going to spend a lot less time on each of these following but if you can apply what it means to lead and to follow, you'll get it. Because we want to submit and we want to lead in a way that honors Christ. So point number two, reflect the glory of God as parents and children. Verses 20 and 21 of Colossians 3 say, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So the first sub-point here is children... Demonstrate the glory of Christ's own obedience to his heavenly Father. Kids, are you paying attention, by the way? Thank you, Josiah. There's one of you. You did better than the men did, son, just so you know. So, yeah, my, right now, Josiah is one up on the adult men in the room. I just want to point that out. So, kids, Josiah, it's your job to show the world what Jesus is like by the way you obey your parents. Now, kids, who, who do, when I say children, who do I mean? Anybody who is still living at home, at home fits this. At the very, very least, living at home 
keeps you in this category. You are called, if you are a child, to obey your parents. And to obey here means listen to them. Do what they say. Just like I told wives, you never listen to a parent who tells you to sin against God. You do not listen to a parent and submit to them abusing you. But apart from those issues, you listen to the parents that God has given you. You listen because God gave you parents on purpose. Okay, you're enough. That's enough now. (laughs) Children who obey their parents demonstrate for others to see the glory of Christ. In Luke 2.51, the Bible says Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to Joseph and Mary. And if Jesus, God in the flesh, could submit to human parents, you and I can submit to human parents. And who knows? You might even find out that your parents know quite a bit about life because they've lived it a lot longer than you. My dad used to say to me, the older he gets, he said, the older I get, the smarter he'll seem. There's some truth to that. Not completely. I'm still not giving it in completely, but you find out that your parents do know a lot. Think about the ways this applies, by the way. Whenever there's a young person who's like, oh, I desperately wish to date this other young person. Oh, I just want to be free, but my mom and dad say no. What do you do? You listen to your parents. It's just that simple. Oh, but I want to stay out later and they won't let me. You listen to your parents. Why? Because God gave them to you and you look like Jesus when you are subject to their authority, even if you don't agree. And remember, like we said with wives, there's that demeanor, right? It's one thing to obey. It's one thing to do what you're told. But if I do what I'm told by going, okay, I don't look like I'm submitting to anybody's authority. That's true with wives too, by the way. I don't think wives can make that face, but you know what I mean. Maybe they can. Subpoint. Parents demonstrate the glory of the father's loving authority over the son. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that when we turn to the topic of parents, that fathers are the ones addressed? Why? Why do you guys think dads are addressed here? Because the husband's supposed to be the head of the household. And in the same way, the husband is to be the head of the parenting of the children. Now, mothers are central in the raising of children. Mothers are crucial here. Mothers probably have a greater influence in a lot of ways. But fathers still have the ultimate responsibility. It is dad's job. It's very likely here that the the topic in view is discipline, by the way. And discipline is the responsibility of both parents, but the father has primary responsibility over it all. And God says, do not provoke your children, don't exasperate your children, don't frustrate them like crazy, don't discourage them, don't crush them. How can you make a child discouraged, parents? How can you make a child lose heart? Discipline them too harshly, you break a child's spirit. Fail to discipline, you lead them toward destruction. You've got to find the middle ground. Good luck. Parenting is a difficult task, but it's the responsibility of parents to undertake. So our calling, parents, is to demonstrate the love of God in our parenting. God is gracious. We should be gracious. God also disciplines when it's necessary. So should we. It is the calling of parents and children to show the world the character and glory of God. So children, obey your parents just like Jesus, Heavenly Father. Parents, 
love and exercise authority over your children to show them the character of God the Father. If you're too harsh, you depict a harsh God. If you're too soft, you make them think that sin is no big deal. Prayerfully fulfill your role for the glory of God. Third point, reflect the glory of God in your occupation. Verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Employees, sub-point here, employees, demonstrate the glory of Christ's faithful and humble service. Now, none of us here are slaves, at least not the way that they did in the Roman Empire. But many of us work for others in one way or another. You got a job? What are we supposed to do? Listen to me. If you have a job, and by the way, students, going to school is your job. Even if I'm not your parent, I'll tell you going to school is your job. What do you do? You work well. You do it well. Work like we're working for God. One of the keys to working that shows off the glory of God is not to just do what's good when people are looking at you. Not just do good to try to impress somebody. Instead, the Bible says give your best when people aren't watching you. You ever hear somebody say to you that character is what you do when nobody's looking? Your character is who you are even when people can't see you. Work hard, work well, work honestly and honorably. For the rest of us, look, if your entire work week, if all your work week is about to you is to get to your day off, you either need a new job or a new attitude, perhaps both. Work hard, work in such a way that the name of God will be glorified by the way that you work. By the way, you remember that Adam and Eve had a job before the fall. Work itself is not a curse. Notice in this section how much the call in something as simple as your job, right? I mean, when you think about your job, our job doesn't feel spiritual, right? How many of your jobs feel spiritual? I'm a pastor and my job only feels spiritual some of the time. But if you, you look at this, and what you see is no matter what your job is, your job is supposed to have an eternal mindset. Colossians 3.1 told us, set your mind on things above, right? Well, here, Paul says to employees, remember that God is just. Remember that God is going to always properly judge those who have been in authority. That's terrifying, by the way. But you know what? If we remember this stuff, what do we do? We don't shirk work because we don't like our bosses. Instead, we rest in the fact that God is just and God will do what's right. We work not to impress our bosses, but we work in order to glorify God with our attitudes and with our actions. Students, ask yourself, do I go to school in such a way as to show the world what God's like? Do I work hard because I want to please God more than my teachers and more than my parents? 
Get it? Subpoint. Employers, bosses. Demonstrate the glory of the Father's loving and just leadership. The final part, people here are the bosses. Chapter 4, verse 1. Treat people fairly. Treat people justly. Treat people rightly. Do not threaten them. Do not mistreat them. Do not take advantage of them. Do not be dishonest, but be honest with them in all things. Keep your word. Listen, bosses, treat your workers the way God treats you. Demonstrate the glory of God in the way that you lead your employees. It's that simple. I'm just going to stop there. All these relationships... Wives to husbands, children and parents, parents to children, husbands to wives, employees, employers, all of them exist to to display for the world around us a glimpse, a hint of the glory of God. All of them are meant to show us what God's character is like. We all have roles to play, whether we're the ones in authority, whether we're the ones under authority. But let us learn to play our roles in the way that God commands. And let's be sure that we do it to bring glory to the name of God. If you have authority, exercise it in a way that honors the Father. If you're under authority, submit in a way to glorify Jesus, God the Son. As you glorify God, God is going to show you that life actually works better that way. And your joy is going to be more complete as you do what God made you to do as you give him the glory. Now, guys, I get that not all of our lives are perfect and not all of our situations are the way that we want them to be. So please understand, we're going to do the best we can. Some wives don't have husbands that they can listen to. Some don't have husbands at all. Some children don't have dads. I get it. What we're going to do is we're going to do our best to display the glory of Christ in every role God puts us in. As we close, I want to remind us also, every one of us is called to be under the authority of God. He made us. He's our Lord. He's our master. We are his servants. We are his children. But I think you all know it is our natural tendency to work against God and not with him. We desire to be our own bosses. We desire to live by our own rules. We want to assume that we understand our own view of reality and morality. But God has made it plain that any attempt for you or for me to be our own bosses apart from him is sinful and destructive. What is sin? Sin is when you oppose God either by what you do or by what you don't do. Which of us in this room is guilty of sin? Every last one of us. All of us deserve for God to punish us justly for rebelling against him. And none of us could ever survive the punishment that we deserve. But God made a way to rescue people from their sin. He made a way to rescue people for his glory. God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus is God, the son, the perfect God made into a human. Jesus lived in obedience to God the Father. He never once failed like we do. Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for all of the sins of all of the people God would ever forgive. And Jesus rose from the dead and he proved in that that he is everything he claimed to be and that he did everything he claimed to do. And for all of us, our only hope of ever being made right with God is to, as the Bible says, repent and believe. What does repenting mean? It means you stop thinking you get to be the one in charge of your life. Instead, 
You turn away from self-rule and you voluntarily submit to the authority of God, which means you stop doing things he says not to do. You start doing things he says to do and you stop thinking you're the boss. We turn away from sin. We start to obey. But the Bible also commands us to believe. And that means that you need to believe that you're a sinner in need of grace. You need to believe that only Jesus can rescue you. You need to believe that Jesus died and rose again to rescue you. And then I think it's as simple as asking God for mercy. God, please take over my life. God, please be my master. God, please forgive me my sin. Because of Jesus. So the question is, folks, have you gotten under the grace of God by turning away from your sin and trusting in Jesus? Oh, we're all here at church. We must all be Christians. That's not true. Have you gotten under the grace of Christ? not, today would be a really good day to do that. Are you a believer in Christ? If so, then part of being saved, part of being a believer includes the fact that God led you to repent of sin. God led you to desire his leadership above your own. And if you're under God's leadership, then you will display his glory even in all of your life relationships. If you have authority, Exercise it responsibly and lovingly like the Father. Where you're under authority, obey in humility like God the Son. That's what God commands us to do. Let's bow together in prayer.